0: Good morning. Good morning. Wouldn't you love to start over? Just start over. I mean life. Just start it again. You could erase all your mistakes. Start it over again. How would you fare if you started life again? Uh, I, I know that there's probably, there's movies done about this, stories. I've read it years ago. But there's an excellent essay by... Um, Winston Churchill, about this very thing, how he would have relived his life. He came to the conclusion very convincingly that if you did it again, you'd do it worse. Even with all the knowledge you have now, you'd mess it up. Uh, So, we're talking today about new things, because that's what Christ is bringing with him, a new life, and in fact, a new world. Imagine that, a new world. Right, that was the name of our nation in the past, the New World. New things. Uh, sometimes they're welcome changes. I was talking to somebody yesterday about their their house repairs. Uh, we don't we don't own, we rent. So I call Larry when I need house repairs. It's very easy, and he does a wonderful job for us. But uh, you know, someone who had their own house and was like, this is wrong and this is wrong and it just feels great when you, you know, it gets fixed. So it's a welcome change, right? That's a change. Some uh, changes are very exciting. New baby. Oh, we just got some awesome news about that, but uh, I'll leave that lingering. Don't look at me like that, honey. I know. I look at you, and I'm like, am I going to, should I say this? But uh, not us. Oh, no. See, you know, impo- that would be an immaculate conception. Because some parts were taken out, and I won't tell you what. That's no one's business anyway. But that was an exciting change. But there's uh, uh, anyway, uh, new house, new clothes, new car, right? Oh, always awesome. Some things are not welcome. A new neighbor who's noisy, a new coworker, a new child, <laughs> right? See what I did there? Uh, no, your child goes to prison, like like mine. Um, <laughs> she did. She got arrested. It was a new beginning. It actually turned out to be great in the long run, but I don't mean Maggie. Maggie's not in prison yet. Um, and then there's something new that's unwanted and fearful, like a new disease. Uh, we're all getting older. It's going to happen, Right. So, and, and also, we are uh, sometimes the old ways are better than the new ways. That's always that's true in many instances. Uh, new ways of doing things are not always better. But when it comes to the what the Lord has brought to this world, which is, it's not a revamping or a remodeling. What the Lord brought was brand new. Is it better? In fact, you know, uh, is it good? Is it better? How much better? And, and these are all things that we have to answer for ourselves because we're always going to be tempted by the old world in the flesh. The flesh loves the old world. And we're going to be tempted by that. And so we've got to come to a decision because in, in the new ways that Christ has given us, it applies to every single aspect of our life. Friendships, marriage, self, time to self, work, busyness, raising kids, everything. Everything is new. And we're going to be tempted by the old. So would you love to start over? When you became born again and saved, you did. And you can discover what this new life is. Uh, In terms of class schedule this Thursday, we do not have class. So no class this coming Thursday, the 14th. We will have class on Christmas Eve, which is Sunday, and then we won't have class again until after New Year's. So we'll be back on Tuesday. I think that's the second, is it, or the third? It's the Tuesday after New Year's. I'm sure you can figure it out. Second. Zoom classes are now on Mondays at 3 p.m. if you want to join. Uh, We've been going through Bible passages in our Zoom classes. This week we're doing uh, Revelation chapter 1. So if you wanted to join us and uh, you know, we're learning and contributing and all of that, it's really great fun. Uh, and there's another thing uh, that's come up, which is, this is uh, stemmed from an assignment I had in, in one of my classes, which is to uh, ha- go with someone through a book of the Bible, uh, kind of like a, a partnership, one-on-one. And what we did was in the assignment was I interviewed, we just talked about, me and someone else, uh, what we knew about that particular book before we read it or you know, read it the next time, if you already read it. Then we would go our separate ways and read it and then we'd reconvene and interview and talk about what we learned from reading it. From what I've heard from the people who've done this, they have learned so much about whatever book it was, uh, far more than if you just were reading through it on your own, because in this case, you're reading through it with the idea that I'm going to talk to somebody about it later, and particularly me, right? No, I'm just kidding. You know, it doesn't matter. You could, do, you could actually do this with a, a buddy or with a group, uh, and it's actually turned out to be really terrific, not just for the person, for me as well. Uh, I'm I'm I reread these books, knowing that I'm going to talk to somebody about them. It's been marvelous, actually. So I'm offering this to anybody in our congregation. If you want, if there's a book that you want to go through and learn, let me know. We'll talk about it beforehand. Then we'll go and read it, and then we'll reconvene. We can do this if you're online. We can do this by Zoom, or uh, and 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 then we'll and we can do this. You know, I offer this always. So uh, it, it's great help because it's awesome to read the Bible on your own, but often you find yourself, especially like, say, like a prophetic book, like Chris and I did, Jeremiah. Like you're reading through Jeremiah, and you're like, good Lord, Jeremiah, get to the point, you know? It's like, but, um, you know, we, you find out when you read the whole thing through and then you talk about it, there's aspects to it that were, we both discovered that were wonderful, in fact. And, I I mean, I can't teach. I mean, I could, but if I taught the whole book of Jeremiah here at church, it would take us probably six months. (laughs) And you'd forget the first half by the time we got to the second half. It's, It's something about reading it on your own. But there's something better, I found, about reading it on your own and then talking with someone about it. So we're just putting that out there, offering that to you. Let me know. Uh, let's open up in prayer. Let's uh, you know get ourselves ready to worship God in song and through studying his word. Uh, of course, what we do as we pray is just give over to God anything that would be uh, something that would cause us to not concentrate or be distracted with problems. Um, but to get our our eyes focused on the Lord, if that's necessary, to be humble and reverent before him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word, and thank you for uh, the new life that you have given us through Jesus Christ our Lord. You sent him into the world as a king, he was rejected, but you did not leave us. You did not leave Israel, you did not leave us. Though we have rejected him, all of us have rejected you, born into this world in sin, and yet by your grace and mercy you have saved us, and you have saved us through the most miraculous way that no one could have ever imagined, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we ask, Father, that through your Spirit, as we look at your Word today, which is focusing directly on him, that we would grow in grace and knowledge and that we would learn your will and way so that we would all live in the wonderful and, and wonder of this new life That you've given us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All rise please.
1: And mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of the skies With the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem Hark the herald angels sing to the newborn King. Thank right.
0: Excuse me. All right, we're going to start in Isaiah 42 this morning before we head back to Matthew 3. Uh, Matthew 42 1 is quoted in uh, Matthew 3, but it's quoted by God the Father from heaven, uh, as it is here in in Isaiah. Uh, As I said in my opening, um, all things are made new in Christ, and that newness is something that uh, is to be celebrated and to be accepted by us, even though as humans we're resistant to change, and uh, there's a life that comes from this, and Roger, I sound a little tinny, maybe a little, uh, again, a little lower, maybe, test one, something like that, that's good, that's good, that's good, thanks. Um, <coughs> So, when we think of things being new in Christ, it's a new life, it's eternal life, it's heaven, it's a new home in heaven, I go to prepare a place for you, right, there's all these things that all of us love and adore and can't wait for, but it also includes every aspect of life, and there are some of these things that we're a little resistant to, and that is uh, a new way of thinking, if you're, uh, many of us, not say many of us, all of us, are entrenched somewhat with old ways of thinking. Uh, there's uh, new wisdom, new power. Uh, we are, we're still infected by pride because of our fall. And so we are often uh, tempted and given to using our own kind of power instead of God's ways. We use our own way. And that's of a human nature, what we call human power, human good. There's a new way of love. And it's absolutely, it's so new that it's absolutely self-sacrificial. Like you cannot contribute. When it comes to love, you have to love your enemy, love the unlovely. You have to love those all, all people with a sacrificial love that seeks to benefit them. And we're going to be resistant to that. We are. There's a new way of life in terms of work and home, even leisure. What do I do with my free time? How do I spend it? Um, How do I work even? That's new. There's a new way to everything. Marriage, parenting, being a child, if you're born again child, and obeying your parents, not going the way of the crowd or peer pressure, um, not fearing what most people fear, being a witness, a light to the world. On and on it goes. Every single aspect of our life is brand new. <clears throat> now, learning how to incorporate all of that is what we call maturity. And that takes some time. But we have to understand that we, as we're growing in grace and knowledge, we can never settle for the old, never again. Jesus said you can't put the new wine in the old wineskins, right? This is what he's talking about. Old wineskins are going to burst. And it's not that you're going to blow up. That's not what he means. But in a way, your life will. It will not be what it's designed to be. Once you're a born again believer, all things are new. Born again. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Not of the flesh, but of the spirit. That is what's been born of the spirit ever. It's a brand new thing that's come into this world. <clears throat> so look at Isaiah 42, one. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring, just, he will bring forth justice to the nations. Uh, this is the first servant song. There are four servant songs in Isaiah in 42, 49, 51, and 53. And all of them speak of a servant who we know now to be Jesus the Messiah, This is the one that is, here you see it on the board, after Jesus is baptized, after he comes out of the water. So the language says, "This is." we hear this from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. From heaven is this declaration by the Father, that is the declaration he made 800 years ago through the prophet Isaiah. It's word for word the same. And after he says this, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. Just like we just read, I have put my spirit upon him. And so as God is, this is at the very start of Jesus' ministry now. And at the start, God is saying from heaven, this is who he is and this is what he is. I'm pleased with him. Has God said this of any other human being? no. Who else was God's son? Do we remember? Out of my son, out of Egypt, I called my son. He called Israel his son. But they failed. Adam was his son. Failed. All failed. We all failed. This is the one who has not. Now, continuing. Now, verse, so with this proclamation from heaven is to turn every Jew's ears and us now, hopefully, which we will today, to the rest of what this song has in it. God doesn't say from heaven the whole seven verses, but he wants us to know this. So look at verse 2. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. We hear this too. Uh, A bruised reed, meaning in the Gospels, a bruised reed he will not break, break. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. The coastlands always speak of outside the borders of Israel. So that phrase usually refers to Gentiles. And did my mic just go off? No. My hearing just go off? thus says the lord thus says god the lord who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and its offspring who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who are in it i am the lord i have called i have called you in righteousness i will also hold you by the hand and watch over you i will appoint you as a covenant to the people as a light to the nations to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. And therein ends the first servant song. My volume doesn't seem right. It's off. All right, this, this is the problem we had on Tuesday. There it is again. Yeah. All right. So I was going to call the sound guy, and then it fixed itself, and then I didn't. But <laughs> I'll make a, I'll make a call. Uh, we have to have somebody look at our system. Anyway, uh, we're back, so that's good. Thank you, Roger. Um, so this, uh, <laughs> no, I sound terrible. Oh, I love our sound system. Love it. We uh, will, he will not be disheartened or crushed. Let us in verse 4. Actually, back to verse 3, a bruised reed he won't break. Or nor in verse 2, he won't cry out his voice. It, it speaks of the humility of him. And he's not coming as a conquering general. He's coming as one who is going to die for the sins of the world. He's coming as one who's going to appeal He's coming to the human heart. He's coming as one who is going to appeal to Israel. He, is, he could crush them, but he's not going to do that. He is going to, in grace and mercy, appeal. And it says in verse 4, he'll not be disheartened or crushed. Well, why would he? Well, we know. I mean, we know in the future, but we also see all in the prophets that he was not going to be accepted. That he was going to be rejected. Yet he himself is not disheartened. It's a marvelous lesson in that. Because God has made it in this world that all things are not going to go your way. I'm sure you figured that out by now. But in, in your prayers, you are seeking for God to, why don't you fix this? You fixed it for them. I heard this great story of how you came through in a magnificent way for someone else. And because they prayed, and I have prayed, and why aren't you doing it for me? And this is something that all of us have to wrestle with and come to the right conclusion of. God has not made it so that for all believers, even those who love him, are going to all get what they want. There's a reason for that. And so here we see our Lord. Uh, Now, as going on, we have this grand story of the Scripture that comes to a certain head here. With this figure, uh, when you're back in 800 BC or around seven something, when someone's reading this from Isaiah, they we don't they don't know that this is Jesus of Nazareth. They don't really know who this is. They know he's someone to come who's a Messiah. He's definitely seems like a king, and so who who is he? You know, uh, and you know uh, when you look at Characters in the Old Testament who may have really done things well. One of the people that comes to mind is Daniel. Daniel, a captive who, when you read the book of Daniel, he doesn't do one thing wrong. He doesn't seem to. And and, and you think, well, yeah, maybe if I'm a, a Jew around, say, 500 B.C., and I know this prophecy of Isaiah, maybe Daniel's the one. Maybe he's the Messiah. But it turns out he's not. And we wait. And they waited. They waited and waited. And then he came. And what a way to announce him. I'm going to put some guy who looks like a crackpot in some funky clothes out in the wilderness dunking people in water in a manner that is not has never been before, by the way. It's not, a, it's not the same as the Jewish ritual cleansings. It's different. And he's proclaiming this passage. Well, not not this one, but Isaiah 40. We'll see that in a second. So, is this the one? Now, we in the future, we look back, we say, certainly. But remember now, even though we are saved and know him, those same questions are going to come up in your heart. Maybe not so much that, is Jesus the Messiah? Although I have, in my Christian journey, have at times paused and said, is this for real? But, meaning the whole Christianity. (laughs) Those were profitable times for me, by the way. I've talked to people about this and some have said they've never had that. And I was like, well, you are blessed because. But for me, you know, there were times where doubting had actually made me stronger. However, we are faced with questions that have hard answers. They're individual to you. They go on in your heart. Maybe you can't even communicate them, but everybody has them, I know. I'm not talking about doubt in Scripture or doubting God. I'm talking about stuff in your life that you want God to do or stuff in your life that you wish God would stop doing or whatever, and, and you're trying to figure out what is this about. And it doesn't look right. But you've got to remember, there's a lot of stuff that God does that just on the surface to a human mind doesn't look right. And for our whole story here about how God makes, so we're talking here today about new, the new life, new beginnings, and how God made us new and gave us this new life isn't exactly what you know, a human mind writing a story or a Hollywood movie would put it. You know, for, something, for someone to be made brand new, they, they die, right, and are remade, which we know that this happens, but we didn't die. When you believed in Christ, you didn't change at all in appearance, but something magnificent happened to you, and that is what is called the baptism. And so the grand story of the scripture, we have creation, the fall, failure, the flood, more failure. Abraham, he fails. Slavery, Israel, the law at Sinai, more failure. Kingship, kingship comes, monarchy comes, and at times prosperity in the promised land. But then there's more failure. Then there's captivity. And then for 400 years, there's silence, radio silence from heaven. And then the king of kings arrives. Out of nowhere... Born in Bethlehem, not a huge fanfare. Out of Nazareth, where in the heck is Nazareth? Now, at the time, people thought Nazareth, Nazareth, Nazareth was a out of the way backwater place. What the prophets don't even come from Galilee. You're telling me that the Son of God has come from Galilee, and it's just like God does things, isn't it? And in this we are tested in our faith, all of us. As in Christianity, I'm convinced of this. There's not enough wonder in the hearts of believers concerning what has been done. There's not enough. Not enough of just a plain old wow. Isn't this amazing? And I mean day in and day out. Now you can't you can't make yourself amazed. You can't do that. You have to be amazed. It's always something that you receive. And I, I think because of whatever, our world, our busyness, our occupation with ourselves, our occupation with our stuff and our materials and our things and our lives and the people and on and on and on and the news even. And the fact that God has, through all of history, brought about a king. Who would be born as he was, brought into the world as he was, and then after he had done what he had done for us, by dying for us, by paying for all of our sins, he would ascend into heaven on the clouds and enter into heaven to occupy an empty throne that was waiting for him. And then that God would say, this, commit, this dominion and kingdom, which is brand new, is yours, Son of Man, forever. And those who you bring into that kingdom are yours forever. They are your servants. That's Daniel 7 I'm mentioning. It's really the height of the Old Testament prophecy and revelation of the kingdom of heaven. In Daniel 7, 12, 13, 11 through 14. And we think about these things and we're like, well... I think we can. Huh? You know, we can. I did the same thing. We have to see the wonder in it all. It's absolutely wonderful. So creation, we see here And go back to verse 5, right? God, and thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out spread out the earth and its offspring gave breath to the people on it the spirit to those who walk in it this is creation but then we see of the messiah this chosen one he has to bring justice well if god made this creation and the spirit of man where's the justice why does he have to bring justice well we know the reason we ain't just Fallen men, all we have to do is be in contact with one another. And we will bring the evil upon one another. We just need contact. And so then comes, so creation. We have creation here. We have creation in our next passage too. And then comes something new. If something new comes, that means something wrong happened with the original. Something very wrong. It's so terribly wrong. He is the one Son in which the Father delights. He brings forth justice to the nations, meaning that there was none. He is humble, which means in contrast to us who are proud. And he will be a light to the nations, which we, what for us is we want to take from the nations, one nation from another. Look at verse 8. Now we leave the servant song, and now the Lord is speaking again uh, of, not of the servant, but actually concerning him as well. But verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven Im- images. We think, well, no duh, God's not going to give his glory to graven images. This is pointed at us. Stop worshiping idols, he's saying. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, for I declare new things. Behold, they spring forth, and I proclaim them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands. And again, speaking here of outside the boundaries of Israel of Gentiles. And those who dwell on those islands sing a new song, sing praises. Why? Because I'm bringing something brand new. I created, but we need something new. It's not a remodel job. It is a complete destruction of the old and a making of the new. As he said, he leads the prisoners out of the dungeon. A dungeon... That we created for ourselves. Um, A a dungeon that we created for ourselves. Meaning that, um, how did we create it? We created it out of our sin. Our own sin has created the dungeon that we have put ourselves in. But when he frees the captives, he doesn't lead us back to Eden. That's not where we're going, is it? He doesn't come and save us and say, all right, I remade the garden. Don't mess it up this time. Behave yourselves. I'm going to still leave that tree of the knowledge of good and evil there. Right? I'll be like, okay, let's build a wall around it. Let's, you know, let's get together and build a fence. Build a wall. There's probably an illegal alien joke in there somewhere, but I'm not going to take it. But no, he's not leading us there. In fact, there is a tree where he's leading us, isn't it? You know of this tree. It's in the book of Revelation. This tree of life that grows from both sides. It's seemingly in the imagery. It looks like it actually roots. Its roots come up from both sides of a stream. And then this tree of life grows above this stream. And the stream flows from the throne of the Messiah, the king. And that throne he ascended to in Daniel 7, this has all been headed through all history. And here we are in in whatever age we're in. We're a part of it. So he's not bringing us back to Eden. He brings us somewhere new. A new kingdom, as he says here, with a new song. So, to Israel, John has been sent ahead of the Messiah. Go to Matthew 3. Matthew 3, 1. John has been sent ahead, is prophesied actually as well in Malachi, that John would be something of an Elijah figure. There's some controversy around that, but they ask him point blank, are you Elijah? And John says, no, I'm not. So I think that settles the question for me. But um, he definitely is an Elijah type. I'm I'm not sure of the the real solution there. But what we do know is that John has been sent ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ to herald. And it's a voice. What he says, the passage says, a voice crying in the wilderness. Which I love that because it's not John crying in the wilderness. The person with the voice, the person doesn't matter. What matters is the message. And the message is that the... Old Testament, literal, mediatorial kingdom has come because the king is here. And so, but he's near. So the, the word used here in the Greek, we'll see it here, in right. Uh, look at Matthew 3.1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. It's Really heralding in the wilderness. He's not so much a preacher as he is a herald. It's slight difference. In the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? At hand is a Greek word, agneso. It means to be near. It's a word that means like it's at the threshold of the door. So it hasn't come through the door, but it's there. What he says it in the perfect tense, and a perfect tense means that it's been there and it's still there. And so he could have used an aorist tense like a past tense and said, or even a present tense. He could have a present tense. would have worked fine. But a present tense would have meant, you know, it wouldn't have given it the finality or the solidification, the foundation that a perfect tense does. The perfect tense says he's there, he's been there, and forever how long he's, he's, he's been on earth and he is now ready to walk through the door. And that's why the message of repent. Repent, which is Israel, needs to, this is God's elect people, and they need to prepare themselves for the coming king. And how they prepare themselves, as John says here, they confess their sins. They are really admitting that they're sinners who are not just in in birth but in practice and that he's going to cleanse them through a water baptism ritual but as we find out, it's not a permanent cleansing. It's a cleansing that is ritualistic in which the hearts of the people are being prepared for the coming of this king. Now, this is unique to them. Even the water baptism in the church is not the same. We know this for a fact. It's not the same as John's. John's baptism is a baptism pointed at the people of Israel who are of the generation of the coming king. And they got to be ready for him. And they're not going to be. They're going to reject it. So, in verse 3, this is the one, as Matthew is pointing out to us, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And this is as far as uh, Matthew quotes In Luke, he quotes more of this passage, and we'll see that. Make ready his path. In Matthew's account, it doesn't seem... Really, it's Matthew saying this about John, but it doesn't seem that John is saying it himself. But when you go to John's gospel, John the Apostle, he said, and that he is John the Baptist, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, As Isaiah the prophet said. So John is particularly preaching or proclaiming Isaiah. And what he's proclaiming is Isaiah chapter 40. And saying that one in Isaiah 40 is me. And so what is that one supposed to say? And let's check it out. Go to Isaiah 40. It's in Isaiah 40 that the transition in the in the sorry the gospel the book of Isaiah goes from God is going to judge His people to God is going to heal His people, and it's right here. There's a big dividing line between 39 and 40 in the book of Isaiah. 39 is the failure of Hezekiah, the failure of the king, and the proclamation that Babylon is going to destroy the place and take everything. And then in verse chapter 40, verse 1, it says this, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. I'm going to send you into captivity because you will not stop worshiping idols. You will not stop rejecting me. You will not stop caring so much about yourselves that you do not care about the things of God. And you're my elect people, and I'm going to put you in captivity. Jeez, God. And then he says what? The very next line. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. What? You just told me you're going to throw me in prison in Babylon. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins, meaning that the judgment upon you and discipline is complete. They haven't even gone into captivity yet. So therefore, this must be speaking of the future, and it is. And here comes this future in verse 3. Here's John's proclamation. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain, mountain and hill made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, in all flesh, notice all flesh, will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And that, to verse 5, is what Luke quotes as John's proclamation. So really, John is saying, Matthew doesn't include it all, but John is saying from verses 3 to 5. At, at the least, he's probably, I would say, he's, he's proclaiming the whole thing, but... At least we know he's going all the way to verse 5. And in verse 4 and 5, here's the voice calling, but what is he calling? First he says, make smooth. That's pointed at you, at the listener, or at Israel at the time. Make a path for him in in the desert, a highway in the desert. So in other words, prepare a way for him to come to you, and that's something that you do. But then he says... Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain be made low. Good luck trying to do that. I mean, only God can do that. And what does that mean? Well, as we continue look at verse 6, the voice says, call out. And he says, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So, you know, that what, what are we? And that's implied here. The flesh is what? Grass. That's it. So, again, we see the implied creation again. He doesn't speak of creation, but... The mountains and the valleys are already there, right? So, this again, there's creation in mind. But in this case, there's something that God does to the creation, which looks like a huge landscaping project. Mowing down, plowing down mountains and lifting up or filling up valleys. And to make everything smooth. In the midst of this earth where all this great landscaping has to take place is God's opinion of man. And what have we become? Grass that withers and fades. The implication, again, is that something has gone wrong. Why does God have to plow his creation? Why does God have to flatten out mountains and fill up valleys? Why is man grass who withers? And withers means death. What in the world happened? But we can say, well, wait a minute. I, I mean, I don't feel like I'm dying. But don't, don't look at me. At times I do, as after post-late 50s, that's when it all begins, right? Uh, anyway, but uh, I get new pains all the time. But, you know, when I, if I was probably at my best shape of my life, was around 25, 26 years old, I could just hop on the road, run 10 miles, no problem, no pains, just go. Loved it. Well, yeah. Say, so I'm, I'm in the flower of my youth, man. Come on. And I, good looking, too. I've seen old pictures. I look at old pictures. I'm like, wow, I was better looking than I thought I was. That's because I'm looking at new pictures and everything's relative. And I'm like, wow, what a good looking young man you were. What did you do to yourself? What did you eat is what I want to know. And what? The flower of my youth. What does God say about the flower? The grass withers, the flower fades. We all decay and die. You don't keep that youthful look for very long at all. The flower dies in the cold of winter. And still, however, there is something that we have to do. I mean, if we're dying grass and fading flowers, what in the world does he want us to do? And he says, go back to verse 3, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. How in the world am I supposed to do that? Well, first and foremost, this isn't pointed at you, is it? This is in the mouth of the Baptist, and it's pointed at that generation in Israel who are accepting, or to accept, the coming king. Make. A path. Now, are they to literally make a highway for him to travel down? That is thrown out by the fact that we see John in action here in the gospel. And what is John telling him to do? Repent, which means to turn your attitude back to God, which is a condemnation upon the nation, a condemnation upon the nation at the time. That if they had to all repent, what does it mean of their hearts when the Lord came upon them? It is their eyes are not on the Lord in general. Some are, most aren't. And they have to turn, that's what repent means. They've got to turn their attitude right back to the Lord. And not only that, but they have to confess sins. And either when they confess or after they confess, John baptizes them. And out they come and he says, this is for, as it says in Mark's gospel, for the forgiveness of sins. You're being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Our little theological brains go, beep, 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 wait a minute, you can't have forgiveness of sins from water baptism. But this is a cleansing in a very Old Testament style in which this forgiveness is a forgiveness of the discipline to come upon you, the the consequences of your sin by grace of God are being removed by your ritual cleansing. And it's not just ritual, but their hearts have truly got to be in it. But it's preparation for them, for the coming King. So we say, why are we even bothering with this then if it's not for us? And it's not. John's baptism was never for the church. But right after John's baptism is another one. So John's baptism, to make clear now, there's a lot of confusion on water baptism. John's baptism is for Israel's readiness for her king, of which they do not do. They're not ready. This making smooth valley or making smooth mountains and lifting up valleys is something that only God can do. But there to prepare a way and to prepare a way is to change their hearts. And the ritual, the confession of sin and the ritual of baptism is to reveal to them this is what you're changing. You have turned your heart away from your God. By the way, they're the elect people of God. God didn't send a Baptist to the pagans. He sent it to his own people. And the Baptist comes to tell them that, look, from your very scripture, you see, I'm proclaiming it. I'm the voice calling in the wilderness. I'm the one that has been sent to be the forerunner to the king. And he is at the door. Who's going to believe that? They haven't haven't heard from a prophet in 400 years. I find this marvelous. God knows what he's doing. We don't. We don't. God did not set a plan. God did not even give you the smallest plans to do on your own. You realize that? I didn't think it was a great movie, but there was a movie done by Jim Carrey where he, he's God for a few days. Uh, yeah, I, Jim Carrey, whatever. He's he's funny in some movies, but Bruce Almighty, he, Bruce Almighty and he, he's given – he uses like Yahoo or something to, to grant everybody's wishes and stuff. But anyway, uh, he messes everything up in the movie. And when he talks to God, which uh, – what, what's his name? Uh, I'm going to call him Gordon is uh, – Morgan Freeman, he does plays a good God right But anyway, uh, I think God has that deep that deep voice, but you know. uh, <clears throat> Morgan Freeman, God says to him, "I only put you in charge of like one block of people and you like messed up the whole place. Imagine. What aspect of your life has God said, you know what, I'm going to give this to you. Here's your little project. Not one. Not a one. He wouldn't love us if he did that. And that's why all things new has to apply to all things. And you and I, got to, we've got to mature in this. And as we go along, we find out, and it's the word for repent, Applies to us. Repentance is used for the unbeliever. It's used for the Jewish unbeliever. It's used for the Gentile unbeliever. And it's used for all believers multiple times. And Because of the, what the word means. It means to turn your attitude back to God. And we have to do that. Time and time and time again. Clear the way and make it Smooth. So the people with faith, now we're transitioning here now to, to us in the church. Because someone's coming, John says. The one who's coming. He's greater than I. I'm not worthy to untie a thong of his sandal, which is a idiom in the Old Testament to say that I, he is towers above me. And he, I baptize you with water, but he. And it's a clear contrast. The Greek has it, uses that Allah but, not Allah's but. Allah is the Greek word, but. And it's strong, it's emphatic, and when you see it, you know that there's a change in thought. And the change in thought means that he's going to baptize you with something else. And then we we'll say, well, if we, and, and here, look, here he is. Because when we're baptized, we become part. Israel could have had this. There's no other way to interpret it because it's a literal kingdom that is proclaimed in the Old Testament. I said this this week. that Jesus says the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. He says the exact word for word what John does. In Matthew 4, it's the beginning of his ministry. Repent, Jesus says, for the kingdom of God is upon you. And uh, neither John nor Jesus explain their uh, definition of kingdom. They just say to Jews, the kingdom of heaven is here. And by not defining it, they expect every Jew to understand what they're talking about. Which means, clearly, that it's the Old Testament kingdom that had been promised through the prophets. And that was to be on earth, literally, and that this was offered to Israel. And doesn't it show us that you know, as some believe that there's no judgment, I mean, how could a loving God judge his creation? So, there's no judgment, right? There's no, there's no people who are going to miss out on eternity with God. There are no people. I mean, God, and the answer to that is no. That's a That's a very liberal way of interpreting the Bible, but it's false that there are going to be some who are going to be judged and it's going to be awful and we should know that but here he is and to him this is the son of man and to him was given dominion glory and a kingdom his dominion is an everlasting everlasting dominion which will not fade away and as i was going over my notes this morning it's somewhere around here hendel's messiah came up on my playlist
1: hallelujah.
0: I won't sing it. We sang it in the car on the way down, didn't we? Me, Chris, and Maggie. We thought we could do that for church. And Chris was like, no, no, we couldn't. (laughs) That sounded pretty awful. King of kings, right? That's beautiful. I I love Handel's Messiah, especially that that crescendo there. Ah, it's just marvelous. And that, this Christmas This is what when you hear that or anything, this is what you've got to remember. Get the wonder back in your heart if you've lost it. Jesus told us to be kids, not in intelligence but in awe. Kids are awed. We need to be awed. This this if you read this passage, this throne, There's an empty throne. It says thrones in plural. And He ascends in the clouds of the air. Only God rides on clouds. But here's the Son of Man. He's a man. And He rides on these clouds and He comes to heaven. It's a prophecy of His ascension. And what happens at that ascension? All enemies will be made a footstool for My feet. All. Your sins and this joker here he is, look he is. Look at him. Little horn. I love that God calls him a little horn. He's a little horn that boasts of great things. You can only picture this tiny little horn saying, I hate God! You know, this kind of
1: <laughs>
0: awful. but stupid. And who is he? He's the Antichrist. And he epitomizes the, he's the, the, the textbook epitome of human kingdoms. And what happens to him? In this passage, he is destroyed. This is what happens to the old. It's destroyed. And don't think for a second that you're not like him. Don't. All of us in our flesh are just like him. This is a human being here, the Antichrist. We studied him a little bit in Second Thessalonians. He is a man. He's a Gentile, he's from the Gentiles, that's all we really can say, he's from the Gentiles, and he is the ruler of the world that Satan puts on the throne of the world. And he fails miserably, but he's awful, and so are we. If, If we're only in our flesh, what do we have except evil and sin? And this is what the Lord has delivered us from. Now, so we see here, um, where are we at? Okay. Yeah. So is the church's baptism, is it the same as John's? This is where you have to get to here, the church's baptism. Uh, No, it's not. And there's a great passage for this in Acts chapter 19 where Paul comes across some people, some men in Ephesus. And he gets talking to them and he says to them, what, to whom or to what was your baptism? And they said, well, we were, we're, in, we're under John's baptism. And then Paul asked them about the Holy Spirit. And said, well, we haven't heard anything about the Holy Spirit. But the key to that passage, but then they, Paul puts his hands on them. Uh, and they receive the Holy Spirit, but then he baptizes them again in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm all for water baptism. I'm not anti water baptism. I don't require it. Right? And definitely not needed for salvation. We should all know that. I mean, most know that. But when it's done in the church, it's not jaunts, it's made clear in the scripture. And, uh, and but, even that, that water baptism, not for salvation, I mean, people have their ideas of what it's for, and I'm like, well, those sound like good ideas, but to which in the scripture, what scripture are you pointing to to get that idea? And it's it's not there. It's a, it's a mysterious kind of thing, for sure. Not anything I'm going to tackle at uh, five minutes to go in my lesson, that's for sure. But... What happens here? Go back to Matthew 3, and we do summarize in five minutes something that I'm going to talk about all week, which is the baptism of the Spirit. This week, we're going to look at the baptism of our Lord, the water baptism of our Lord, and the baptism of the Spirit. And John's baptism is a new thing, in fact. It's very new. It looks a little bit like Old Testament washings, but it's not. And so it's new, but in fact, it's not new enough. It's not new enough. I, 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 find, I wonder if God is doing something here. I can't say. It's just conjecture in my own mind. But it's a, you know Israel had a, a number of water-cleansing rituals under the, the Levitical priests had to go through. There's the laver and all of that. And there's plenty of them, even for people who got uh, unclean by touching a dead body or, or on eating unholy food or whatever. There were cleansing rituals, the red heifer thing and all of that. There, <clears throat> and this, that was water. And this baptism of John is water. And the baptism of the church is water. And then what John says, which Jesus repeats in Acts 1, pretty much word for word, He says, John baptized you with water, and I baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit? This is God himself. God, as I said, John's baptism is new. It's just not new enough. There's mountains and valleys. We don't have time for that. There's the landscaping. Don't have time for that. God makes a new person. Brand new. Yes, a Jew cleansed in the Jordan will feel a bit new, especially if you haven't confessed your sins and you've been cheating people out of money, which is what John particularly speaks about. In in Luke's account, he says, stop defrauding people, stop collecting too much taxes, stop stealing from people, stop being ungracious and confess it. And if you confess that and you get baptized by John, You'd feel like a new man. I bet you would. But are you new enough? Nope. Not for this. When you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were baptized by God the Holy Spirit. And baptism is a word that means to be immersed. That's why uh, there's a lot of the Baptists. The Baptists go nuts on each other over, well, you only sprinkled or you only poured, and you weren't immersed. And they go all into the how much water and all of that. I'm I'm particularly lucky because I was born Catholic, so I've had the sprinkle. And when I first became born and saved, I went to a Baptist church, was my first church, and they had a tank behind the pulpit and I was dunked. So I've had both. So I'm good. You know? <laughs> you're on you're on your own. You get you get up there to heaven and he's gonna be like, Well, were you sprinkled? You'd be like, I wasn't even baptized. He'd be like Purgatory. Take him down. <laughs> Take him down. I have no idea. It's all quite silly actually. Because you're made a new creature. So look at Matthew 3:11, as for me I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I'm not fit to remove his sandals, that's for sure. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire now we'll see what we're going to explore what fire means it's judgment there is going to be a, a baptism of fire at the second coming of Christ they're going to be judged in the wilderness it's another wilderness thing and it could be that there's some who think that this fire really refers to the purification of the believer because fire purifies and there's it could be that uh, i like that theory but again it's a theory He'll baptize you. What we want to focus on is with fire. Galatians 3.27, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. (laughs) That's permanent. That's a new, brand new human being. All things new. So when God said, I'm going to plow those mountains down in Isaiah 40, He plowed your mountain down. You really did. I know. You're, mountains speak of pride, by the way. Mountains are like rulers and pride. And I know you still have it. Don't lie to yourself. You have it. But in real, what God has done to you at salvation, He has destroyed it. You're not going to have it after you die. And you have all the power within you right now to overcome it. If you desire to. You can truly become a humble person. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Though they are many and are one, speaking of the body of Christ, so also is Christ, meaning many members, are one body, so also is Christ, meaning one body. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Baptized. It means to be immersed. So, but it... So, immersed came to mean identification. This word, as the, as the word progressed in the Greek language, it went from immersion. It's seen in uh, soldiers who went into battle. They would dip the tip of their swords in blood, and that was called a baptismos. You just baptized it, and that was to get, you know, your, your, your spear was ready to get more blood on it, the blood of the enemy. And that became, now your, your spear became identified with a, being a killing machine, right? So, immersion came to mean identification. And you can use both words here. You are in Christ. Into that body. That's an immersion. And you ain't ever coming out again. And you're also, for eternity, identified with Him. You're a son or a daughter of God, like He is the Son of God. And you are identified with him forever. This is my son. God said from heaven. What does he say of you? This is my son. My daughter. And with that. Comes. In whom I'm well pleased. Right? And well pleased means. For us. Because we can please God. Is that our whole lives. Are now new. And in. In. Are on our Sunday afternoon with our family, in our marriages, as parents, as workers, in our retirement, in our everyday activities, and running errands, <laughs> the mundane things in the supermarket, wherever and whatever you do in your prayer lives. God has given you a new life to live. And there's an aspect of Christ that we find in the truth of the Scripture that applies to every single one of those situations and you and I can live them because we're baptized. A new kingdom has come. As we know, Israel rejected the kingdom. Was the kingdom taken off the table forever? Heck no. Just postponed. And in the church, God has given... The baptism, the entering into, union with, identified with Christ. And so we have in our own lives the ability to live out. And this is the thing, and I'll close with this. This is the kicker for me, is that you get to live the life of the kingdom in the world where the kingdom is not acknowledged, known, and in fact hated. And you get to live it out here in your heart, in your speaking, in your thinking, in your expression, a light unto the world. In a pla- in the place that it's not here. Only God could make up a story like this. In heaven, this is going to be easy to do. It's here, and here it becomes a challenge. And in fact, it should become exciting and fun. Is what you know is what the Scripture tells us. I know you can't keep exciting and fun in your head all the time. I understand that. But this is the new life. 2 Corinthians five seven: If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. What's passed away? Old things and new things have come. So you want a new beginning? You have it. Any believer, a believer could be a believer for 20 years. And then have their eyes open to the fact of what God has done in the history of mankind to bring the newness of life through his king to his nation who said, No, I don't want you. And yet he gave it to a people who are not his own Gentiles in an age where Gentile and Jew doesn't even matter. And that he has blessed upon them the Holy Spirit and the Word and all that goes with that. Eternal life in the same old bodies... And in the same old life, same old earth, the cursed earth, and we get to live a new life, new life given, applied to every particular love, marriage, family, work, parenting, home, taking care of your material stuff, how you take care of that, even celebrating Christmas, all new. And we'll always, we're always going to be tempted, drawn back to the old. Don't let it happen. Stick with the new. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you have made all things new for us. And a wonderful plan you have given us. Through the baptism of God the Holy Spirit, you have entered us into union with your Son. And you did so. You gave us not just life, but you gave us work to do and a ministry and a spiritual gift of which to work through this life and serve you in a world that doesn't acknowledge you. What an exciting thing to do, Father. We thank you fully and thoroughly. And may each of us find the wonder in this victory that you've had as our Lord is sitting at your right hand above all rule and authority. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. We'll take our offering now. Thank you. Uh, So don't forget there's no class on Thursday for the big crowd that shows up on Thursday night. Make sure you don't come. Let's pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give. We, as your believer priests, give to you in honor of you and respect of you. Uh, We ask, Father, that you use these finances to your glory. Uh, We thank you for them. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Close a prayer. Thank you, Father, for our gathering. Thank you for this time which we have to hear your word and just be awed by you. Uh, We ask, Father, that through these closing moments, if there's anybody listening who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior, that their hearts would be open to the gospel. The gospel is the truth that the Son of God has become a man and he has, in his humanity, fulfilled all things. And part of that fulfillment is to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. It's a really big part of it. And that is the fact that he's died for your sins. And by dying for your sins, he has paid the price. But The payment means nothing if he's dead. But he's not dead. He was raised again on the third day. And so the one who paid your sins is resurrected and seated at the right hand of God. He's ascended into heaven And you will be resurrected with him, with all who have believed, if you believe in him. it's all he's asking you to do is to believe, to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And not to work, but to have faith. Thank you, Father, for our time and for your word and for all you are. In Christ's name, amen.